0: Happy Sunday morning. This is the Filipino edition on Red FM 93.1 and 89.1 with your host, Joseph Lopez. Stay with us as we bring you Pinoy talk, music, and news. This is your program, your voice, your views. The Filipino edition. Welcome to the Filipino
1: edition. This is your host Joseph Lopez. We'll be talking about Budget 2021, or as it's called in longer terms, a recovery plan for the um, fighting uh, COVID nineteen uh, to create jobs and and have better resilience for Canada. There are two. Uh, Prongs in this uh, budget uh, 2021. It's according to the Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Freeman. It's to finish the fight against COVID 19 and to ensure a resilient economic re- recovery that creates jobs and growth. So it's a recovery plan. For, for jobs and and creating resilience for Canada. We have to, with us today is Member of Parliament for Suvi Centre in British Columbia, Randeep Sarai, to clarify, expound on certain aspects of Budget 2021. If you're going to look at Budget 21, 2021 online, there's a website called Budget but uh, sorry, budget.tc.ca. Um, you have to read seven hundred twenty-five pages of the PDF file, and the actual book has seven hundred thirty. Uh, nine pages. So it's a bit long. Okay, So hopefully our conversation with MP uh, Randeep Sarai will synthesize some of the features of this budget uh, uh, 2021. And budget 2021 has passed its third uh, vote of confidence. So it will be taking into effect. Welcome to the Philippine Edition, MP Sarai.
2: Thank you for having me on again. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be on the Filipino edition on Red FM. And uh, with you, uh, Joseph, uh, always a pleasure.
1: Thank you. MP uh, Sarai, uh, let's just get, go to the basics. Okay? Budget 2021. Okay? How, how was this formulated? Who did this? And was there any consultation with the public?
2: Absolutely. Great question. So uh, all our budgets uh, prior to being tabled, uh, our finance minister along with her uh, parliamentary secretary, uh, other related ministries and all the members of parliament uh, do pre-budget consultations across the country. So we speak to people from, uh, you know, in in B.C., from Howe Street to Main Street. So uh, the downtown uh, business community, the main streets of our uh, small and medium sized uh, towns and cities cities to find out what they need, uh, stakeholders, citizenship groups, uh, and thousands and thousands of submissions are made and given. Uh, so uh, ordinary citizens to nonprofit NGOs, to businesses and chambers of commerce, they all get to submit their um, uh, their their suggestions and their policy platforms and needs, et cetera, to the government. Uh, and then the government kind of has staff that compile all of those and uh, get to view uh, what are the important issues of the day, what are the high demands, and then based on that, uh, um, those uh, the, the budget is uh, then tabled.
1: Did you have any part in or in this budget that you significantly uh, feel you have contributed to? Uh,
2: absolutely. So uh, we had just to give you an idea. We had uh, Minister Freeland and the Prime Minister both speak to our downtown Surrey Business Improvement Association, our Chamber of Commerce, uh, the the Surrey Board of Trade, um, uh, right here in Surrey. Uh, in Surrey, so they were able to give their feedback directly to those ministers and uh, uh, also the Minister of uh, of, of uh, Families and and Small Businesses, Mona Fortier. So all of those ministers were able to get first-hand feedback on that, uh, specifically on the recovery, uh, uh, what needed to be done, how a lot of the businesses that were getting support from the government to survive, the wage subsidies, rent subsidies, et cetera, uh, that they needed more support longer. Uh, those, uh, those came directly from, from consultations here. Uh, the need for child care, early child care, also was, was front and centre, and that, uh, uh, and that was done uh, uh, right from our uh, uh, our writing. So I'm very happy to see all of those uh, job creation always very important um, to make sure uh, uh, more jobs were created and people get back to work quicker and faster and the confidence is there. And lastly, uh, Surrey is home to, you know, 60, 70% of the businesses are small businesses, small and medium sized enterprises. So uh, to make sure their interests were needed, were heard, uh, particularly what I've told you about uh, some of the programs that were initiated before to have them extended and be longer and uh, uh, to have those concerns addressed. So those were, were very important issues that came from Surrey.
1: Thank you, MP Sarai, uh, reading through those, or scheming rather, through those 739 pages, okay, yeah. <laughs> book. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's historically the, the longest budget, uh, uh, in Canadian history. The last longest one was around 500 pages in 2015, okay. Uh, that, the, the word benefit is mentioned Thousands of times in that budget plan. So let's talk about the benefit. The centerpiece of this budget is the early learning and child care uh, section, where thirty billion dollars is being allocated. Tell us about this uh, early learning and child care budget.
2: Sure. So as we all know, uh, uh, when you're when you're starting a family and when you're new, you're usually uh, in your twenties or thirties. And uh, um, uh, once you once you have a child, uh, one of the biggest challenges is is how do you look after that child after the one year uh, uh, paternity or maternity leave? Uh, and that's uh, currently very expensive in uh, in metro markets uh, like uh, Lower Mainland, uh, Toronto, GTA, etc. You know, it's anywhere between twelve hundred and fifteen hundred dollars a child. And what usually happens is that disproportionately uh, women have to stay back uh, to look after their children until they get into full-time schooling. And that also inhibits their uh, prime years of their career. You know, you usually just finish their degrees or their vocational training. They've just got into the workforce. And then all of a sudden, uh, they have to take a pause. Uh, And and a lot of times when they get back, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years later, their skill set gets dated. It's very hard to Come back, uh, and it's a real uh, damper for them personally, but also for the economy. I think the economy takes a hit uh, when we don't get um, uh, full productivity out of both parents, out of uh, out of a couple uh, in a home. So um, to to balance that cost, uh, uh, the government uh, felt that uh, this is something that is needed. It's been tested in Quebec. Quebec has a ten dollar a day childcare, and it works very well. and And uh, that model was used as as uh, an example, and our, it was our commitment, and, and we we heard it from Canadians that is this one of the best recovery measures as well. If we every dollar spent has an approximate dollar fifty uh, in return back, and how that happens is you have childcare at. say $10 a day uh, uh, that's $250 a month versus $1,250 that's $1,000 more in after-tax dollars in every family per child so even if you have a simple family of two that's $2,000 that you're able to save not to mention now that you also have the ability to work in your career uh, in the the career of your choice and you'll be able to contribute more as well so um, we think this will be a prosperous for Canadians. It'll be uh, good for families. It'll be good for children and getting them their early childhood uh, learning they need. And um, the way it's structured, it's $30 billion. It will require the provinces to participate. So on approximately a 50-50 basis. And uh, our commitment is that um, within Uh, By uh, 2026, we will reach the $10 a uh, a day average. And prior to that, our goal is to, by a year, to drop the cost to 50%, uh, approximately. Um, But obviously, this will need uh, provincial uh, uh, buy-in. So we'll need the provincial governments to support that, which looks like in British Columbia, it's a very uh, optimistic and positive reception we've received, and and I think other provinces will do the same. And uh, uh, once that's uh, built, I think will be a, a pillar and a milestone, just like health care, uh, climate change, carbon pricing. This will be the, the big uh, social lever in this country that will help families um, uh, uh, position themselves in the earlier years of their life when they need the most support.
1: You are correct. You need to buy in a 50-50 with the provinces on this budget for the early learning and child care. But a lot of provinces have been complaining that the federal government is not talking about the Canadian health transfer. Where's the money for that? And why should we cooperate with the federal when collaborate when you're not even giving us the fundings for the Canadian health transfer?
2: Uh, So, look, the health transfers happen every five years. It's going to happen this year again. They renegotiated. Last time, uh, I can always attest to uh, uh, British Columbia. British Columbia in 2016 when the health transfer not only got the health transfer that they needed and required. uh, But on top of that got 700 million for mental health, uh, 686, I think million to be exact. And a similar amount, almost 700 million uh, uh, for keeping seniors at home so they can stay home longer and get the care they need. So mental health and uh, home care was given another. So that was a top up of almost $1.4 billion uh, uh, then you know, uh, now I think uh, when they open up the health transfers, uh, the conversation with that, we'll need to know that. And one of the things that uh, the government has a responsibility when it's doling out taxpayer dollars is to find out where that money is going, uh, what it's needed for. And currently we have given uh, billions in in transfers uh, for schooling, which is not our uh, responsibility conventionally, but for uh, during COVID to make sure schools were safe and had uh, all the COVID protection and And uh, needs they needed, as well as various, uh, almost to give you an example, out of all the aid that anybody in British Columbia got uh, for COVID, whether it was the school systems individually, nine out of every $10 came from the federal government. Uh, So 90 to 90, I think 3% of all assistance that anyone either personally, their companies uh, or uh, through the hospitals or school systems uh, that they received was given by the federal government, So we pumped out above and beyond. And I think when the healthcare transfers are negotiated, that's the time where one by one provinces will have to give their business case on to why they need more money, how much they need and where they will be spending it. And based on that, then those transfers will be negotiated and given.
1: OK, that sounds optimistic. OK, MP CRI, um, the the terminology in the budget is early learning and child care. Is childcare the same as daycare? And what are the implications for current private childcare and early learning facilities?
2: Um, great question. So uh, I would say uh, what's going to happen is, is uh, each province will negotiate it based on the, the systems they have in place. Uh, BC's already been trying some uh, 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 pilot projects on this and um, low cost childcare and daycare. And what we wanted to be is inclusive. So this would be you know not for, for it, not just for kids who don't have special needs, but for every type of child. So those that have special needs, uh, such as say. Autism or early childhood development it needs. This should cover them equally as it should cover children who do who, children who do not have any disabilities. So this would be uh, the whole breadth of that kind of up till uh, full time schooling. But I don't want to cap it uh, and and be uh, the one uh, building the parameters on it. I think that'll be something that each province will negotiate with the federal government. Say this is very important for us to have this included and in some cases the federal government will say no no we want to make sure every type of child in that age group gets that coverage and and they will have that so that's why when they say it's uh early learning so it's also uh some sort of uh kind of uh preschool type of uh arrangements as well so uh i think that the 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 the, the the provinces will determine, is it daycare more? Is it early childhood childhood learning? Is it a hybrid of both? So I think those will be the type of uh, projects proposed uh, by the provinces and in that negotiations uh, they'll be achieved. But the goal is to have it be a comprehensive program.
1: MP Sarai, let's say I'm a mother with a seven and a five-year-old And I'm going to see you at a distance, of course, and I'm going to ask you, okay, there's that uh, budget, 30 billion, early learning and childcare, and so many parameters, as explained in the uh, budget uh, uh, handbook. What is the implication for me? Can you tell it to me in mother's terms, in parent's terms, what will happen to me in 2021 in the next few months?
2: Sure. So the goal is, uh, if uh, uh, if if your child is is going to have already having child care, I mean maintain the spot. As soon as we get an agreement with the province, the goal is by next year, uh, we should have within twelve to eighteen months a fifty percent drop in costs for your uh, childcare. So if you're paying say fifteen hundred dollars a month now in in child care, you should have it dropped uh, uh, to to seven hundred fifty dollars. And within the next, uh, say four years, that should go down all the way to about two hundred and fifty uh, to three hundred dollars uh, a month, depending on the days that you you the amount of days that you use that. So that's the saving. Then if you have two children, uh, that can save you up to two thousand dollars to twenty five hundred dollars a month. Uh, obviously, with a child at seven, that probably will be going now to full time uh, elementary school. The childcare needs and costs might be a shorter period, maybe a few hours. So that'll obviously range and be uh, uh, hopefully even lesser cost But uh, uh, the de- details will be ironed out. But I can assure you that the cost of childcare will drop in half within a year to year and a half, and it'll drop uh, almost uh, 75% um, uh, within four years.
1: Let's go to affordable housing. Okay. What does the budget uh- how is the how is the budget helping us to afford housing?
2: So great, great question. I think there's a uh, uh, the affordable housing uh, angle. There, there's there's many things. So, so one of the particular uh, angles that was for British Columbia, uh, it's already been announced, is for first time home buyers. Uh, we had a first time home buyer uh, benefit where the government would put ten percent down uh, to anybody buying their first home, uh, uh, and it used to be multiplier. Uh, I'll simply put, if you earned under twenty thousand, you multiply by four, and so. It approximately $500,000 home you can get and the government would give you $50,000 as a down payment, you would put $50,000 yourself down so you can kind of buy something uh, approximately $600,000. That didn't work too well for um, uh, families here in in Lower Mainland just because the cost of of our housing is much higher in particular Victoria, Greater Victoria region, Greater uh, Vancouver region and Greater Toronto. So uh, it was a demand of, of People, again, right here from Surrey that this initiated. Uh, so that was raised to, I think it's uh, 4.5 uh, times your uh, gross income up to a maximum of 150000 So that kind of gives you about a 750, dollars $760,000 uh, buying power. And then 10%, 75000 would be given by the uh, by the federal government. Uh, and then $75,000 you would match for yourself. And that would help you get to your first home you don't pay that 10% down payment uh, that the government has given back to you until you either sell the home or 20 years. And at that time, you give it as 10% of whatever the value of your house is. So it's an equity stake, but there's no interest on it. And in the meantime, you're also earning 10% you're paying 10% less on your mortgage payments because you have 10% from the government and there's no cost in that regards. But the benefit of that is that's taxpayers' money being given for people to buy their first home and it'll roll over to the next generation after that. So once you sell your house or upgrade to a bigger one or um, uh, that money will go to your children in, in theoretical sense for them to buy their first home. So our commitment is to get people into their first homes. Uh, similarly um, in the rental construction and financing initiative there was another 13 billion dollars given in uh, in the fall that was is to help build more rental stock affordable rental stock so uh, they have to be a minimum of 10 percent below market value and that spurred a lot uh, here in Surrey uh, dozens of projects have uh, started uh, large companies like boza uh, uh, development and others that that normally conventionally just build construction of new condos uh, and for sale units are starting to build hundreds Hundreds of units now uh, for rental purposes. This is the first time we've had that increase in, in, in decades, in fact, since the 60s. Um, there's also a rapid housing initiative that was given for the most vulnerable, people who are homeless, uh, veterans that are homeless, women that are uh, in, in shelters and others, and and Surrey was a recipient of that, of $16 million, and in fact the first uh, such building is being built right on King George in 92. It's a 40-bed, um, 40 44-bed, 44 room um, a premise for, for women uh, for the Atria Association and uh, for shelter there. So, our goal is to get everybody in housing from those that are homeless to those that need subsidized or affordable housing and to those that are in their um, uh, first attempt to buy a home and have home ownership. And so, it's the whole gambit of uh, home ownership uh, oh, or sorry, uh, housing needs that we're, our goal is to fulfill.
1: All right. Job creation and supporting our businesses. I understand there's going to be the Canada Recovery Hiring Program, which starts on June 6th and ends on November 20th.
2: Yeah, so our goal is to get 500,000 new training and work opportunities starting from this year, and the goal is whether it's student work uh, placement programs to get, uh, uh, you know, as we would normally call them, co-op positions, to the youth employment and skills strategy, uh, getting almost 7,000 uh, new opportunities through that, Canada summer jobs, uh, we've already doubled and uh, tripled it, to, so that 75,000 new opportunities, so young people in the summer. Summer will have employment, uh, and now it goes on into the fall. Uh, it also helps build their resumes. Um, Canada's digital adoption program, 28,000. There's a MyTax program of 85,000 jobs. And for the four core working age, so those are for youth measures, uh, for, for working age groups, uh, uh, Workforce Solutions program, which is to give almost a billion dollars to get 90,000 uh, new jobs. Apprentices, uh, so we all know uh, apprentice is a big, yeah. Uh, High-paying initiative to 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 get your job and skill training. So almost half a billion for that. Four hundred seventy million to create fifty-five thousand jobs. Uh, another program called Skills for Success uh, uh, that'll be for ninety thousand jobs. Community workforce development uh, that'll create twenty-five thousand, and then uh, transition work for uh, for new jobs. These are particularly those in the oil and gas sector to transition them where they've had a weakness in jobs. Uh, uh, to do those, but the rest, a lot of the heavy lifting will be done um, uh, by the, the the private sector themselves. I think with a lot of support that we've given, uh, and uh, once we come out of this pandemic, we expect uh, over half a million jobs will be created by that for a total of one million jobs in the next uh, uh, few years. Uh, so that's our goal. We've already. Um, Almost caught up to all the unemployment that happened from the pandemic, which was, you know, March, almost 15 months from now, uh, where we had the largest contraction, as well as unemployment rate coming from the lowest unemployment rate. We've already recovered um, uh, over 750,000 of those jobs There's still about 200 thousand plus more jobs that uh, those people still need their jobs there they, they have not found uh, work back again that's our primary goal to get them back to work and a lot of them are uh, you know from the Filipino community as well that work in the hospitality sectors and tourism sectors and uh, that need to uh, recover still and we're hoping that the uh, post-pandemic uh, will be able to get them uh, back at their works uh, with the uh, the type of employment that they expect and need.
1: Okay. Now, certain uh, pandemic uh, benefits, if I can call it that way, will be extended uh, by sep- until September, in line with the government's uh, ambition that uh, the vaccination uh, will all be completed, every Canadian, by September.
2: Yes, so those will be um, uh, everything from the wage subsidy to um, uh, the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, CBA, uh, sorry, to the business account. Which, so to give you an example, we give up to seventy-five percent subsidy, which was for wage subsidy. Those were going to end in uh, uh, in June. They will now be extended till the end of September. And in fact, the government has in this budget allocate allowed for if we need to push that till November, we can also extend it. Beyond Beyond September, if for some reason uh, there is a, uh, you know, the trajectory of recovery doesn't happen or the vaccinations don't happen uh, as fast as we expect, but so far they're exceeding spec- expectations. Uh, similarly, there was a Canada Emergency Business Account, which was interest-free funds, which was forty thousand uh, dollars given initially, a uh, ten thousand forgivable, not payable till December thirty-first, twenty twenty-two. Uh, that. Loan was increased to sixty thousand with another ten thousand forgivable. Um, so that that the deadline for that program is also now extended till June thirtieth, twenty twenty one. So this allow businesses to buffer, you know, pay some of their uh, expenses or, or cover their cash flow requirements uh, for a little longer. Um, so these are the type of uh, same with on rental uh, subsidies for the smallest If you you know you have a, a small uh, restaurant or or barbershop or uh, a franchise like a subway and, and you're getting government assistance on the, um, uh, on the mortgage or the rent of that, that has also been extended uh, and, and topped up for those that are shut down due to the uh, pandemic. So, uh, for example, like banquet halls or movie theaters or um, uh, nightclubs or anybody that's shut down by a pandemic, uh, a public health notice, um, those will get up a, you know, more than the 65% they get up up to 90% of their rent covered and also till um, September rather than June.
1: Okay. Uh, MP uh, Sarai, uh, these are wonderful benefits for Canadians or for British Columbians, but we expect we have a deficit of $155 billion in this coming fiscal year and the debt-to-GDP ratio is expected to hover around 50%. Some Canadians are concerned, okay, we have to pay for what we're spending today, in the future. Are we giving our children an inheritance of a big deficit and debt?
2: A good question look the concern was there I think um, if we the government had had a few choices uh, when this all happened uh, we uh, we had a choice of being mysterious uh, to which would have forced the economy to contract if we did not inject money if we did not support families uh, 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 people would have had to take their own lines of credit, their own credit cards. So, uh, you know, what's the cost of that? If you were borrowing on your credit card to survive this pandemic, you would be paying 20 to 27 to 30% in interest costs. If you had to take your own line of credits or business line of credits, you'd be paying four, five, six percent on those. Uh, so you would be incurring those debt, uh, but everyone would have had to do such things uh, to survive uh, because it was a, a very, very tumultuous time. Bankruptcies would have increased. Uh, however, we were very lucky. Uh, It was also historically low interest rates uh, that the world has ever seen uh, at this time. So the the Canadian government, uh, our government decided that the best way is take the lowest borrowing option, uh, which the government of Canada has at the lowest rate, usually about half percent to one percent, and borrow those funds on behalf of Canadians. So Canadians would have paid them, whether they paid them on their credit cards, whether they paid them on their uh, line of credits, or whether they had the government carry it for it. And we know it's Canadians that are going to pay it back. But the, the benefit of that is the rate is low. It's locked in for long periods of time on those bonds that are given out. And our goal is if we give growth, our economy will grow Exponentially, our economy will grow rapidly, uh, and it's already expected to grow at six and a half percent this year, exceeding even the U.S. and others. And that will help uh, uh, pay down because, obviously, when the, an economy grows, more tax revenue comes in. Uh, and the goal is uh, you know, I use this analogy if you took a World War II house, uh, which in World War II had to take a big deficit at that time, too, and a big debt load was probably about $25,000 uh, for houses in that era, that same house in you know Vancouver is to say a million dollars now today. Well, when it was twenty five thousand, it probably had a fifteen thousand dollar debt, and now fifteen thousand to a million doesn't feel like a lot, but at the time it felt probably a lot. So our goal is to increase the pie, so the slice of the pie that we owe is very small uh, when we pay it. So if our economy and our GDP grows, uh, will be better. I think the world. Uh, health, uh, sorry, the World Bank, uh, IMF, uh, economists around the world, the debt uh, bond uh, rating a- agencies have all rated Canada's strategy as AAA, uh, reaffirming our, our one of the best uh, uh, credit ratings in, in the G7 and the OECD countries. And all of them have said that the measures Canada has taken were the best and most effective. And in fact, they've said we have more firepower, say more borrowing ability still, because we've been prudent in the past. So because we haven't, uh, our debt to GDP rate wasn't 1 to 1 or 75 cents to a dollar, we were much lower. We were able to get to 50%, which is still lower uh, than most of the G7. uh, If not, uh, I think we're still the lowest in the G7 uh, with this additional debt. So I think the strategy is is the right one. And uh, uh, I I think Canadians don't need to be concerned, uh, but they do need to monitor and make sure that uh, the money is spent in the appropriate places.
1: Thank you very much, MP Sarai. We need more time to discuss the budget. It's it's very interesting, and I appreciate your clarification, and I'm sure our listeners do.
2: Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Lopez, and uh, thank you to all your listeners.
1: That was uh, MP, Member of Parliament, Randeep Sarai, representing Sui Center, talking about Budget 2021. The correct title is A Recovery Plan for Jobs, Growth, and Resilience. Thank you.
0: Cabayan Auto Sales. BC's first Filipino auto dealership is open now in Surrey. Kabayan Auto's massive inventory features more than 200 cars from various makes and models, no matter if you have a good or bad credit. Our finance experts will get you approved in minutes. Visit us at 154th and Fraser Highway, Surrey or call Rolando at 604-790-5310. Getting your vehicle sparkling clean has always been part of the service at Craftsman Collision. Now we're excited to be raising cleanliness to a new level by introducing our two-stage DryPure treatment. A registered disinfectant kills 99.99% of surface bacteria, viruses, and mold on contact. That is followed by a protective spray that helps prevent the recurrence for up to six months, so you can breathe easier. Next time you need repairs, choose Craftsman Collision and ask for DryPure, just $49. (laughs) Craftsman Collision. Air miles and safer smiles.
1: Uh, you are listening to the Philippine Edition. This is your host, Joseph Lopez. Uh, Budget 2021 uh, has been the discussion uh, with so many media and people covering it. Uh, it has uh, 725 pages in the electronic uh, PDF file and it has 739 pages in the paper bound uh, hard uh, copy file so it's a big uh, document and historically it has the longest budget on record much longer than the previous record holder way back in 2015 when it has around 500 pages and according to some critics of the budget it has a little bit of everything for everyone so there's some questions on the way it was done, but we're going to ask our guest later about that issue. Our guest today is uh, Ken Hardy, who is serving a second term as the Liberal Member Member of Parliament for the Fleetwood Port Kells Federal Constituency in Surrey, British Columbia. Welcome to the Filipino Edition, uh, MP Ken Hardy.
3: Joseph, it's a, it's a pleasure to join you again, because we've had a chance to chat in the past on things that uh, that matter here at home and uh, in, in some cases, uh, in, even internationally. But uh, yeah, the budget itself is really quite a, a transformational document because it uh, it builds on a very transformational series of actions that have taken place actually since we formed government in 2015. And I can go into more details than that because buried in there.
1: Buried it's, yeah, in there. it's buried in there. That's right. Okay, let's start talk, talking about what's buried in there. Okay, uh, maybe you could start. Give us um, something that you would like to talk about to the budget What's
3: well, buried in what, there. Yeah, let me start with, with, with a bit of a story. Um, a couple of years ago, Uh, my wife and I had a fire in our kitchen. Uh, We had an old wall oven that was put in when the house was built and it decided to malfunction in the self-cleaning mode and it smoldered through a couple of layers of wood, a lot of smoke, fortunately no flames. But there was damage, obviously, and the wall oven had to come out and it was toast, literally. And so we had a situation where we had to make some repairs But in making those repairs, we didn't go looking for a 13-year-old oven. Instead, we went out and got a new one. And in a sense, this is where Canada is right now. And this is what the budget represents. Because we've gone through the trauma of the pandemic. And even as we started as a government rolling out the support programs, we started looking beyond the end of the pandemic and saying to ourselves, you know, this has been a difficult situation, tragic for many people, but it's also an opportunity, an opportunity to reset things. This is what's buried in the budget. The great reset that had a whole bunch of people running around with tinfoil hats on thinking, oh my gosh, this is just going to be so nasty. In fact, (laughs) is the sort of thing that the country really needs. And it represents a vision, not only for Canada, but the way Canada is governed. Okay.
1: Can you uh, name uh, uh, something, one, that the country desperately needs?
3: Well, just like, uh, you know, we didn't uh, go looking for an old uh, oven to replace the one that, uh, that malfunctioned. We don't want to just simply restore the Canadian economy or Canada's social infrastructure to the way it was in January of 2020. Because if you look back then, we had lots of people in precarious work, the very people who've actually suffered the most during the pandemic. So we can't go back and just offer them the same kind of life that they had before. We have opportunities to do better than that. Not only that. But after 50 years of a kind of, you know, a a way of thinking about government, 50 years where government was made smaller and smaller, where regulations were thrown aside and the free market system was allowed to really dominate how we move forward as a nation. People in the pandemic started to think, you know what, government needs to be more than that. Government actually does need to come in with a vision a vision for the future of the country and the will to invest in the country to rebuild after the damages of the pandemic. In a sense, Joseph, we find ourselves in the same situation as Franklin Roosevelt found himself in the United States or William Lyon Mackenzie King in Canada. They took over from a, a conservative administration that was more worried about saving money than helping people during the Great Depression and that only served to make the Great Depression worse. Instead, they said, it's time for an activist government that comes in and invests, builds things. And then coming out of the Great Depression in 1939, we had a war. Well, we have another war, a big conflict, but this time it's over the climate, over our environment. We need to do things. We need to take deliberate, strong action. So. We see an opportunity for government to be more involved, right, more engaged, more progressive, to throw off the small government is good mantra that we've lived under for 50 years and really get government that does things for people.
1: You are right there, uh, uh, MP Hardy. Certainly, the uh, budget for early education and childcare, for uh, job uh, hiring recovery, for uh, science and technology uh, industry, for the youth in terms of uh, student loans, for housing affordability are all covered in budget 2021. So, as you said, there is a reset. Okay, for that uh, budget uh, that we are we were presented uh, to the Canadian public. Let's talk about some uh, specific uh, items in the budget that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, is, are meant to help the the country communities recover from the effects of the thirteen year, thirteen month rather. Um, slowdown, lockdown of the pandemic, okay? One of the things I'd like to ask you is on section 6.5 of the uh, budget. It's called the Canada Community Revitalized Fund, where the budget allocates 500 million for community in- infrastructure for main streets, farmers' markets and other gathering places that were severely affected by the pandemic. Okay. Can you explain to us in, in real terms how will this 500 million be applicable or be su- supporting our communities?
3: Well, I think part of that will come about in discussions that we have with individual provinces and territories. Because most often, when federal funding comes into an area, it comes via the provincial government. And so the federal government, the provincial government will get together and will agree on the things that are going to work best in British Columbia versus Alberta versus Newfoundland. And then The B.C. government and the federal government will speak actually with individual municipalities. That's what my job is as a a local member of parliament is, is to speak with the municipality or people like the Business Improvement Association or the Surrey Board of Trade to say, all right, we have we have money. We have the active ingredient here and we think that this money could go toward revitalizing our public spaces to make them more livable. To really build that sense of community, because one of the things that um, was a a very strong part of of this budget was the notion of social infrastructure. You know, we're all used to physical infrastructure, like building SkyTrain lines and roads and bridges and schools and hospitals. But social infrastructure is something that makes the quality of life in a community stronger. And that's the sort of thing that this community revitalization program will help to do.
1: Does that mean MP hardy, that if I'm a community group, you know or I'm in a farmers' association, I can there will be some system in the in in the upcoming months where you know, I can apply for some funding to resuscitate our activities?
3: I believe that that's the way it's going to work. Now, the budget itself has just been passed you know, within the next or the last couple of weeks. So the details as always, will be worked out. And again, the details may vary according to the province and the municipality. For instance, in in Fleetwood Port Kells, we have uh, that old site of the 2E's Farm Market. I think it's at uh, 164th and uh, the Fraser Highway. It's a large, large plot of land. And there's work, a vision underway to create a community hub in that location. A place where people can come together as a group and and do things as a group. Uh, You know, better seating, maybe a cenotaph for our November 11th uh, Mm -hmm. observances. Mm -hmm. So this is the sort of thing that that budget will probably help to support. All it really then requires is imagination on the part of the community to come forward with exactly that sort of, of idea or activity. You know we're we're missing, for instance, um, some kind some kind of um, facility or location that celebrates some of our communities within the community. So we're thinking of our Sikh community, our Filipino community, our Asian community. Okay, well these are again this is the social infrastructure that paints the picture of the community and gets people involved with each other. And that's very, very strong.
1: You are correct, MP Hardy. Uh, David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research in Toronto says he will give an A plus to the budget 2021. If he was a social policy advocate, but as an economist, he has many uh, disagreements. But we won't go over there. Talking of social infrastructure, okay, let's go to natural infrastructure. Okay, we talk about people. Think about physical infrastructure like buildings and bridges, but what about our wetlands, our boreal forests? The budget uh, rightfully addresses this. It uh, allocates two hundred million uh, uh, dollars for the next three years. Why, you know, why is, is it an important facet of the budget? Our natural infrastructure.
3: Well, our natural infrastructure supports uh, many things. It supports our food. It supports the diversity of our ecology that actually keeps us all healthier. And the amount that, uh, that you quoted there is actually only one small slice of a much bigger picture because part of the budget, which is something that you know, just went straight to the heart of things that many of us hold dear, is $647 million to help protect and restore our wild salmon stocks. And doing that will involve things like preserving wetlands or things like uh, changing some of our flood control measures in the Lower Fraser Valley, which right now cuts off a lot of habitat for salmon. So, you know, the, in, in in fact, as, as you go through, you can actually see a few different cases where what looks to be separate items in the budget will actually come together and create a huge economy of scale, uh, a, a huge tipping point where we can get something really accomplished that's been needing work for a long time.
1: All right. Uh, in, uh, MP Hardy. There's a budget uh, item there on uh, page 152. Uh, It's called Science and Tech collaboration with Israeli firms geared for small and medium enterprises, in particular women, visible minorities, indigenous groups who are in small and medium enterprises so that they can partner with Israeli SMEs. The budget is $10 million for the next uh, five years to be followed by $2 million every year thereafter. My question is, Why is there a specific uh, budget line item for this collaboration with Israeli firms, which is under the Canadian International Innovation Program? uh, When there are other four countries who are also part of that program, namely China, India, Brazil, and South Korea, although the Israeli program has its own separate uh, unit that uh, uh, manages this program. Why? Specify the Israeli SME firms.
3: I think probably it has to do with where that sector in the country actually is. You know the, the developments, the things it's been working on. Where you see that there's some uh, complementary things, where something that we're doing in in our sectors here. Can complement what uh, Israel has been doing, uh, you know, in in its sectors. Um, Israel, for a variety of reasons, has had to be extremely innovative uh, and 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 very uh, very focused in its way forward. They uh, they live in uh, a, an area in the world that is very challenging in terms of agriculture and the geopolitical situation, as we know only too well, is uh, is, is is highly. Um, conflicted in that area. But that said, there's a, a tremendous amount of innovation that's going on in Israel. Uh, and it's it's just an opportunity, I think, for some of our countries to team up and basically do better at what our Canadian companies are trying to do. Now, should there be other countries specifically named? Well, I think in in the fullness of time there probably will be because when we look at other countries that have their own sets of capabilities and things that they're really good at, then maybe the uh, you know this particular program that focuses on Israel is just the start of other programs that can come along and do the same things with other countries that have their own types of innovation that uh, you know can represent a win win for them and for us.
1: Certainly, I agree with you. It's just that it's unusual that there's a specific line item for Israel and there's none for the other four countries in the Canadian International Innovation Program. And in addition, the description of the budget is very sparse. There are no details on exactly how that partnership will take place, but we will leave it at that.
3: Okay. You know, it's it to to be honest with you although 10 million dollars would look pretty good in your bank account and mine uh next to the the size and the scope of of this federal budget it's it's a very very modest amount almost a rounding error i hate to say
1: <laughs> now on page 221 as i told you i read throughout the uh you know the, the budget oh. <laughs> from page one to page <laughs> <laughs> three to page what is that Uh, 725 on the electronic file 739 hard copy file okay on page 221 there's an item there for supporting racialized newcomer women okay for 15 million dollars over three years the program is for employment counseling and you know and skills development and skills training it seems like the, the government especially in this budget is using the term racialized what does the government mean by racialize we often hear of multicultural or visible minorities but now we are encountering
3: racialize well I'd have to break out my thesaurus to give you you know the the absolute um, crystal clear definition or the reason why that word is used but there there's a whole um, train of thought that uh, some people, like and and others don't, called uh, intersectionality. What it really means is, is that some people may have no barriers to what they want to do. Other people may have barriers because of their culture, their background, their skin color. You know we can we can have a whole discussion about systemic racism and what that actually means. It doesn't mean that people are are necessarily bad, but there are certain biases, certain things that we've grown up with that show themselves in, in certain ways. So you get a person who's a newcomer who is also let's say black or Muslim or Punjabi and they will face a number of obstacles, a number of barriers. But they're human beings with their own capabilities and their own dreams and their aspirations. So it's part of, uh, I think, what our government has tried to establish as, if you like, a a feminist lens. that we look at a lot of our programs and what can this do to, to especially help women who do tend to be Facing more barriers than than men do, even from the, the same racial background. So they do represent people that do intersect at a number of barriers, perhaps more than two, in fact, in some cases. And they need special attention. And that's what a budget item like that can help out with.
1: All right, okay. In terms of global affairs, the budget is a line item for Rohingya crisis, the refugees in Myanmar, to the tune of uh, $528 million. It's also helping the Venezuelan uh, refugee situation to the tune of $80 million. Why is the federal government of Canada, among so many crises in the world, decided to focus on the Rohingya genocide in Myanmar, okay, and the Venezuelan refugee crisis?
3: We see needs there, but we also see what other countries in the world are supporting. So sometimes we will look at at a particular population and say, well, you know, the, the United States is looking after that group over there. And maybe they're not uh, in a position to help this group over here. So we'll move in and help them. Uh, I I think uh, I would like to think, and I don't know this conclusively, Joseph, I'd like to think that uh, Western European countries and and our North American countries get together and we do talk about foreign aid. And we talk about ensuring that nobody is left out. Uh, You know, the the Rohingya have been the subject of, uh, you know, pretty awful treatment at Myanmar's hands and they've you know gone in numbers across the border into Bangladesh and Bangladesh is not a rich country very ill equipped to handle the kind of influx of refugees so the human suffering element there shouldn't be ignored and we are not going to ignore it and so is for venezuela okay i'm sorry and so is the for venezuela there's oh, absolutely! Uh, my wife is is from Brazil, and uh, the Brazilians can tell you that the refugees coming across the border from Venezuela uh, are are in terrible shape. Uh, the country is impoverished, and uh, you know the again the the political situation there is far from stable, and uh, people are suffering. And so, it's a situation where Canada helps, and just because specific countries or specific groups are mentioned does not mean that everybody else is excluded. We have ongoing actions to help people in distress all over the world. And it's, it is just something we do.
1: Yeah. You're right on that. The reason I'm asking is among so many, why the focus? Uh, uh, Of course, there's the compassionate reason, but are there strategic reasons as well? But we leave it at that. You talk about social infrastructure. We talk about physical infrastructure. We talk about natural infrastructure. Let's talk about healthcare infrastructure. The budget has uh, items for the national vaping framework, the national autism framework, the national diabetes framework. Oh, diabetes is certainly a major uh, health issue in Canada. Why is there no framework for the national cancer? framework, let's say, or the National Cardiovascular Disease Framework, or the National Chronic Respiratory Disease Framework, which are big numbers of mortality statistically in Canada.
3: It's because they already exist. They do. It's, yes, they do. Uh, you know, if if you look at uh, the investments in cancer research over over time, uh, it, it is quite substantial. Uh, cardiovascular. My goodness, uh, we've had um, we've had programs in place for. Most of my life, which is a longer life than you've lived so far, Mr. Joseph, uh, to uh, help Canadians, uh, you know, be stronger and, and healthier in their cardiovascular systems. So, you know, it's, uh, again, when a new budget comes along, quite often it's an opportunity to fill a gap. The interesting thing, though, and, and you know, you mentioned cancer. One of the things that represents a, uh, just a second, we'll let this guy finished revving his engine outside. You can probably hear that, can't you?
1: Yes, I can. Okay, I can pause.
3: Just a second. Uh, There's something interesting going on. These vaccines that have just been developed, the new way of of developing vaccines for the COVID-19 virus show amazing promise for use in other diseases, other conditions. And uh, so, although there might not Necessarily, be a brand new uh, framework for, for cancer treatment or for hepatitis treatment. There are opportunities that are now emerging with the new vaccine technologies for Canada to move forward on a number of different fronts. Just today, there was an announcement of $200 million to support the expansion of a facility in Ontario that can produce 600 million doses of vaccines a year, but it's the R, uh, RNMA, the, the new one, the one that uh, Pfizer and Moderna represent. You know, we, we haven't had that kind of production facility in Canada yet, but we will have one. And it's not just the production of vaccines, it's also going to work hand in glove with other. Facilities that uh, the federal government is helping to support, which will develop new vaccines.
1: Thank you, MP Hardin, for explaining that. I have a lot of questions more, but we're running out of time. So my last question is: um, a lot of critics on the on the uh, from many sectors, a number of sectors rather, are saying that this budget 2021 is not only a fiscal budget, but it's an electoral budget. Okay. It seems to be reaching out across the board for the next election. What do you say to that?
3: Well, what I would say, uh, uh, you know, you make me think of the work that we do in our constituency office. You know, day after day, we help people with their problems. We answer their correspondence. We talk to them about the issues that are important to them. This is work that you do as a member of parliament. But every day that you do that and do it well is like a good day of campaigning. Okay. So yes, this is a budget. You can call it a pre-election budget if you like, but what do you look for in a pre-election period? You look for a vision for the country, a vision for the country and a commitment to follow up on that vision. That's what this budget does. It it says that government is back a government that has had your back for the last year with the supports to get you through the pandemic, has a vision for the future of the country that will build one better than the one we had before the pandemic. So yes, it's a big investment. It's an investment that Canada can afford. Most importantly, it's an investment that Canada cannot afford to let go. We have to do this. And this is the vision that I, I think that I would feel very comfortable going out and campaigning on to say, we have a vision. What do the other guys got? Well, not much at this point. Well,
1: thank you very much for uh, giving your point on that uh, criticism that we've been hearing from so many. That uh, Thank you for joining us today, MP Ken Hardy.
3: Joseph, it's always a pleasure, and uh, I hope we get to do it
1: again soon. Oh, definitely. That was MP Ken Hardy, Member of Parliament for the Fleetwood Port Girls Federal Constituency in Surrey, B.C. This is the Filipino Edition. I am your host, Joseph Lopez. So what do you think of Budget 2021?
0: Kabayan Auto Sales BC's first Filipino auto dealership is open now in Surrey Kabayan Auto's massive inventory features more than 200 cars from various makes and models no matter if you have a good or bad credit our finance experts will get you approved in minutes visit us at 154th and Fraser Highway Surrey or call Rolando at 604-790-5310 Getting your vehicle sparkling clean has always been part of the service at Craftsman Collision. Now we're excited to be raising cleanliness to a new level by introducing our two-stage dry-pure treatment. A registered disinfectant kills 99.99% of surface bacteria, viruses, and mold on contact. That is followed by a protective spray that helps prevent the recurrence for up to six months so you can breathe easier. Next time you need repairs, choose Craftsman Collision and ask for dry-pure. Just $49. Craftsman Collision, Air Miles and Safer Smiles.